All right, let's move now to the scriptures and open your Bibles uh, with me to Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one, we're gonna, we're gonna start there again. If you were with us last week, you know we began a series that we're calling Future Things. We're always fascinated, uh, actually more fascinated with what the future holds than what the present brings. <laughs> so we're gonna take this month of January and next month, February, to look at what does the scripture say the future holds. We gave an overview last week that would be a little overwhelming to you if you missed. So if you weren't able to either be here or listen last week, I'd encourage you to to go back and watch and get the big picture of how we outlined what we believe the scripture says the future will hold. And the easiest way to remember this is to recognize that when Jesus said He was going to be crucified and then ascend. He said, it's to your advantage because if I go, then I will send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will come and fill everyone, not a select few, but everyone who trusts in me to empower them to live new lives. And so that is understood as Pentecost. Jesus said, I'm going to go away, and when I go, then the Spirit will come. So Pentecost was right uh, after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus is the first major event. Following Pentecost will be then the rapture, then the second coming, then the great white throne judgment. Four major events that introduce then four Time periods. Pentecost began what we understand as the church age, where we are the body of Christ because the Spirit of God dwells within us. The church age will end when the church is raptured, and we're going to look at this in detail this morning, and meet Christ in the clouds. The rapture will bring a tribulation upon the earth of seven years where, in some sense, the wrath of God is poured out on earth in judgment. That seven-year tribulation will end with the second coming where Jesus and those who have been raptured will return, not just into the clouds, but to planet Earth and will set up a thousand-year reign where we who are in Christ will reign with Christ on the Earth. The millennium will end with the ultimate battle, not of Armageddon, but of Gog and Magog, which will lead then to this great white throne judgment where all whose names were not written in the book of life will be judged according to what's written in the books, plural. And it is their works. And the reality, friends, is this. If you or I are judged according to our works, we're going to be judged because we are guilty by what we have done. And so all who are judged according to their works will spend eternity in hell and all whose names have been written in the book of life who have trusted in Jesus will spend eternity in heaven. So you have four major events, each one leading to a unique major time period, church age, tribulation, millennium, eternity, forever. Now, in case I didn't say this sufficiently last week, I want you to hear this. Not every Bible-believing, Christ-following person thinks it's going to unfold this way. And uh, hear me clearly. Just because they don't think that 
doesn't mean they don't love Jesus or believe their Bible. They just have interpreted some passages differently than we who have come to this conclusion. We're not going to fight about it. We're going to be charitable in our understanding of how some future things will roll out. We do not hold to this in the same way that we would hold to the deity of Jesus and the substitutionary death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. In other words, think of it this way. There are some doctrines, beliefs that we hold capital D and some that we hold small d. In other words, Here's what we think, here's what we're going to teach, but we give room for folks to believe and come to different conclusions. So, some will not hold that the rapture is what is coming next. And I say that because we would believe having... Pentecost taking place, the Spirit of God now coming upon all who believe that we now live in the church age and the next future event to take place is when we meet Christ in the clouds. Now, not everybody believes that. Why do we teach that? Acts chapter one, that's why I wanted you to start there. Acts chapter one tells us this. This is, Jesus has said, wait in Jerusalem for the spirit of God to come upon you. And the disciples say, oh, is this the time and the date that you're setting up the kingdom? And to the answer of when, what did Jesus say? It's not for you to know, but what? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and because the Spirit is upon you and because you have power, you shall be my witnesses. So we don't know the when, we do know the what and the what is where to be until the Lord changes something. We are to be proclaimers of the gospel. I hope you took, or at least asked the Lord every day last week, and I hope you will this week, every day in the coming week, you'll say, Lord, I wanna do what you've called me to do in the days that you've given me today, which is the Spirit of God to declare the gospel. I hope you're looking for opportunities to declare the gospel because Jesus said all curiosity about the future should turn towards an attention to being proclaimers of the gospel. So he said, wait, Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and then he ascends into heaven. Now, verse 11, chapter 1 of Acts, the disciples are there watching him go into the clouds and the angels say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who's been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So it would seem to us that what the angels have declared is he went into the clouds. There's going to be a time in the future where He will return in the clouds, separate than when he comes to earth. Why do we think that is next? Now turn from Acts chapter 1 to the book of Revelation, the last book in the New Testament. Turn to the end of your Bible, Revelation, and we see chapter 1. 
Paul talk, excuse me, John speaking about the revelation that is given to him on the island of Patmos. And out of that revelation, he speaks through the Lord seven messages to seven churches. So it's as if you can understand Pentecost has taken place and he is speaking to the churches because he is in the church age. That's the time period going on. That's chapter one, two, and three. Now go to chapter four. Here's how chapter four begins. A completely different scene. After these things, what things? The church age, after these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I had heard like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me said, Come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after these things, after the church age. So, don't miss, there is after these things, and what did he hear? A voice like a, a trumpet. What did he see? A, a, a door standing open in heaven. And what was he told? Come up here. Now, why am I emphasizing that? Turn now from Revelation chapter 4 to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we'll be done flipping for a bit, all right? 1 Thess 4. I want you to find... So we can read it, find verse 16. Okay, you found 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. All right, before we read it, read Revelation 4, 1 again. What did, what, after the church age, after these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I heard like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me said, Come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after these things. Now to what you have in front of you. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. So these two verses here are what we would understand, and I'll explain why in a moment, we call it the rapture where we'll be caught up with the Lord. It seems that what he describes is going to happen to us corporately, happens to John individually in Revelation chapter four. Some of the same elements, a trumpet, an open door, a come up here after the church age. So this is why what's described in 1 Thess 4, we would put at the end of the church age because it's what the angel said in Acts chapter one and it seems to follow the chronology of Revelation 1, 2, 3, and 4. So, 
We're not going to fight about it, but that's why we believe. That's what comes next. Why is it called the rapture? The word rapture is taken from the Latin, rapio, for the two words, what were in the text? Caught up. When it says we shall be caught up, that is the word we, where we get the word rapture from. So the, the picture, the key being that we are caught up in the clouds with him. Now, <clears throat> let's take a step back and read this whole account of what happens with the rapture. Start in verse 14 in the passage you're open to. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Anybody believe that? Anybody? Okay. The, uh, most of you, maybe not all of you, but most of you believe Jesus died and rose again. If we believe that, even so, so as sure as that is, this is sure, even so God will bring with him those who have Fallen asleep in Jesus. Now, what in the world does falling asleep in Jesus mean? That means that they have trusted in Jesus but have died. And we're going to talk about in a moment, why does the scripture often talk about dying as falling asleep? As sure as Jesus died and rose from the dead... God will bring with him those who have died, we'll say it more clearly, in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until that day, the coming of the Lord, will not proceed, will not go before those who have, again, fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, now to verses we read, <clears throat> For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be called up together, that's the word rapture, called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. So we're going to look at the what about the rapture, and then we'll look at the so what. The what. Five parts. First, <clears throat> Jesus is going to descend from heaven with a shout. He was caught up into the clouds. He's going to come back in the clouds with a shout. And all who are in Christ, all who are in Christ, will meet him in the air. Question, what's in Christ? The scripture says that you and I, all of us, were created in the image of God and made for relationship with God. It also says all of us who were, in, who were in the image of God and created for relationship with God, all of us 
have rebelled against living in relationship with him, what the scripture calls sin, missing the mark of our created purpose. That's what sin simply means, missing the mark. We've missed the mark of our created purpose, and we have done so according to our rebellion to living under the authority of God. I don't want to live under him. Adam and Eve said, I want to be I want to be like him, not live under him. I want to be independent. That is in the heart of each of us. We don't want to live under God. We want to live independent of him. And watch. We who were made to be in relationship with God because of that rebellion, that missing the bark, are separated from God. And the scripture says God demonstrates his love for us And that while we were sinners separated from God, Christ died for us. He who knew no sin, the life, this is why we say, Majorian Thomas, the life he lived qualified him for the death he died. He who knew no sin, he never rebelled against living under the authority of his father. He who knew no sin became sin, that which separated us from God, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that you and I, when we trust in what Christ has done, we would be restored to our created purpose. Acknowledging we're far from him and that we could not save ourselves, but now through faith in him, we are in Christ again. Why does that matter? Just look up here if you would for just a moment. This position, here or here, everybody is, everybody lives in this condition, here or here. And it's this condition or this condition that determines what happens with you in the rapture. Forget when it takes place. It's not for us to know when. Just know that the most important issue is what is my spiritual condition when it does take place? Because it says those who are in Christ will meet him. Those who have died physically in Christ will meet him first and those who are in Christ and alive still when it does take place whenever it does take place will meet him as well what about those who aren't in Christ they will either remain on the earth for what we understand to come next in the book of Revelation the tribulation or they will remain in the grave until their judgment, the great white throne judgment, will they be judged according to their works. So in Christ, in this text, it might seem like a throwaway statement to you, but it is the pivotal point in the passage. It defines who participates in the rapture and who doesn't. So I hope you're asking yourself right now, Am I in Christ? Ready? Am I separated from Christ? 
still living in rebellion to him. This event is for those who are in Christ. All alive and dead will meet him in the air. Third part, those who have already died will rise first. Why? No idea. If you have one, email me. I have no idea. It's just, it's really important to Paul that no, they're going to rise first. So, good for them. Fourth, uh, it says this, behold, I tell you a mystery. Here's some more detail, that, and we love some detail when it gets to this. Here's some more detail about our rising. I tell you a mystery, we will not all sleep, meaning we won't all die. It doesn't have anything to do with the fact that you couldn't sleep last night. That's not what he's talking about. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. What's he mean? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead, see, this is a, a parallel passage, we believe, to 1 Thess 4, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. All who rise will receive a new imperishable body. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Who's gonna rise? Only those who are in Christ. Who will be raised first? The dead, then next, those who are alive at the time, who gets the new body? Everybody. Now here's where it gets a little um, fuzzy, sticky. And, and let me prepare you. My goal is not to ruin your thoughts of grandma or someone who has already fallen asleep. But we tend to think, and maybe you've said this or thought this, she died, but she's now got a new body and she's running on the streets of gold. This is very hallmarkish, but I don't think it's biblically, biblically accurate. Now, that doesn't mean when somebody says that at a funeral that I go, no! <laughs> so don't be that guy. Don't go tell some grieving person, hey, they don't have their body yet. Nobody wants you around when you do that sort of stuff. I don't think they have their body yet. Why? Because the new body comes according to the text with the rapture, when we meet the Lord in the air. So, to be absent, 2 Corinthians 5 says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If grandma was in Christ, she's with the Lord. Does she have her new body yet? I don't think so. And nor are the streets of gold ready yet, it doesn't seem. Is she in a better place? <laughs> way, way better. With better yet to come than the better of now, all right? So, I do think that, no, I don't think, I'm certain that a person who is in Christ when they die, they're in the presence of the Lord. I don't think they have the new body yet. I think that takes place 
at the rapture when all who are in Christ who have fallen asleep get their new body and all who are living go, will, will go immediately from this body to a new body all at once, the dead first. And the fifth, all who rise will be forever with the Lord. Talk about more that more in a moment. That's the what. He'll descend with a shout. In Christ is the key. All who are in Christ, meet him in the air. The dead first, and everybody gets a new imperishable body at that moment and will be forever with the Lord. So what? <laughs> what difference does that make? Why does that matter? Well, here I don't have to theorize or even guess. The scripture, I love it, the scripture tells us, so what? He's still there, First Thess 4, go up to verse 13, where this paragraph actually starts. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Why, is it, why does this matter? Because he wants us to know what happens to those who die because it gives hope. Grieving? Yes, but it gives grieving with hope. This makes a difference because that which God says will take place allows me to grieve with hope. One of the many reasons I never wanted to be a pastor was because of funerals. Seriously, I could never imagine having to stand up and talk at a funeral. I've since learned it all depends what type of funeral it is. My years, I've had three types of funeral, ultimately. I've done funerals where the person who died was not in Christ. And everybody there knew it. And you know what characterizes a funeral like that? Horrible despair. Just finality. Done. The best the best that can happen at moments like that is people remembering the past. It's the best they can do. And the younger the person is, oh, for the 19-year-old graveside who died in a car crash and everybody there knows he's not in Christ and the vast majority of those are not in Christ, that's horrible. I don't know how else to say it. Uh, horrible. No, uh, no hope to be found. I, I was struggling to say anything that would be meaningful or helpful. Second type of funeral. The person is in Christ, and so I know something about them, but many of those who are present at the funeral are not 
in Christ and say they are, according to what this text here says, uninformed. And therefore, though it's not a time for despair, limited only to memory, it is for them. And I can literally, as I do a funeral, almost see who's in Christ and is informed and who is uninformed by how they embrace death. This is the bottom line. We, we need to know, we want to know what the scripture says so that we are informed as we experience death because all of us are either going to be being remembered or doing the remembering at some point. And what we really believe is going to come out in that moment. The third is where the person is in Christ and the vast majority of people who are present know, are informed that they are in Christ and what happens to folks who are in Christ. And you know what we call that here? A homegoing celebration. Weird if you're uninformed. What is wrong with those wacky people? This is a funeral. This is not a homegoing celebration. No, it is a homegoing celebration if the person is in Christ. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So at homegoing celebrations, no crying, no tears. Okay, this is when my wife, if she was here, would go, hogwash. <laughs> is there grieving? Yes. In fact, if there's no grieving, ah, oh, now I have something totally different to grieve about. One of God's greatest gifts to us is one another. The gift of relationship, of knowing and being known, of sharing life together. And so when someone we love who's been a part of our lives dies, even they're with the Lord, why are we grieving? Because they're not with us. And we love being together. Or it's the fact that we grieve the opportunity lost. I mean, what I mean like, is this. When, when my wife Jackie's dad died, she was only 28. So as you would appreciate, that felt like too soon. And when we got up to Florence and we got to the funeral home the night before, the casket was open for the viewing and I saw my wife grieve like I've never seen. Me. She nearly climbed into that with her daddy. And it was two reasons. She loved her daddy. And her kids weren't going to know her daddy. And there were tears for both. I can't imagine that you're not thinking about somebody in your life. So we grieve with hope. If we're informed that what? That Christ is going to come again. And if we're in Christ, we're going to meet him. The dead and the living. 
at the time. In other words, we grieve with the hope that when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. In other words, the hope that we grieve with is death is not the end. It's not the end. It can feel like the end, but it's not the end. So, now let me bring us back to this question. Why does the New Testament so regularly refer to death as sleep? This is not a hard question. Anybody sleep last night? Wow. Okay. How many of you woke up? Because not all of you, clearly. (laughs) What's the point of sleep? You wake up. And that's what they want, the scripture wants to inform us. If you're in Christ, what in the end? You took a nap. Which is fantastic. If I see, if you see death as a nap, you're like, whoa, I love naps. <laughs> and, and that's what scripture refers to. Almost always, not always, but almost always, scripture refers to the believer's death as sleep, as a nap. Because it's not going, it's not the end. It's a temporary period of time from which you will wake up. It is the doorway to better. See, don't be uninformed. This is not the end. This is the doorway to better. Thus, homegoing celebration. What's the better? For to me, Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is Are we informed? Yeah, folks, I want us to be informed. Being informed, understanding. The reality is death is the unescapable part of life. And the rapture, the truth that Christ will come again and we will meet him and we will get new bodies is the reality that causes me to go. Death is gain, gain. I think how we die, how we approach death, how we see death, how we respond to death is one of the greatest ways to reveal what we really believe. It's not just necessary, it's gain. Paul's simply saying, hey, for me to live and to be an instrument through which God is doing his work, that's good. To die, better. Better. What's the gain? We've talked about it. You don't sow the body which is to be but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. What's he saying? 
If you want an apple, you put a seed in the ground, and then over time you end up with a tree and a tree of seeds. No, apples. You don't. You sow a seed, then you get a different body. That's his image. God gives it a body, just as you wished, and to each, the, each of the seeds a body of its own. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown, here's the seed, a perishable body. It is raised, here's the apple, an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor, that's the seed, it's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, anybody want to argue that one? That's so funny. I love this. I don't know if there's a natural body. Well, kick them in the shin and then they'll know. <clears throat> no, don't do that. If there's a natural body, then what? So as sure as there's a seed, there's a fruit, there's a body. Are they the same? No. One sown in weakness and dishonor, perishable. What's the gain? imperishable, glorious, and powerful. That's the game. For me to live is Christ when I'm informed. When I think about those who are in Christ and gone before, I think good for them. Grief for me good for them. Miss them, good for them. Love them, good for them. If what? In Christ. So what did Jesus say? It's not for you to know the time, but it is for you to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that you would be my witnesses. Are you capturing, folks? Death is the unescapable reality of life, and what happens is death is totally dependent upon the spiritual condition of that person, whether they are in Christ or not in Christ. And so it behooves us. This is why Paul says, I beg you, I beg you who are this, be reconciled to God. I beg you this morning, do not run from or resist living under the authority of God in relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Trust in him. Because if you do, death will be gain. And if you don't, death will be horrible, horrible, horrible loss. We don't talk a lot about hell, but that's the reality for those who refuse to believe in Jesus, who want to hold on to your life. He said, if you hold on to your life, you're going to Lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. One more reason to be informed. 
Therefore, the passage ends, it begins with, so that we would grieve, but with hope, it ends with comfort one another with these words. Comfort, these words, everything I've talked about has intended to be a comfort to us. The rapture not only allows me to grieve with hope, the rapture brings comfort. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will Bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. The comfort is my resurrection is not in doubt if I'm in Christ. It is as sure and certain as the resurrection of Jesus. It's certain. Certain. This is why the resurrection of Jesus matters. Not only as the authentic, authentication that Jesus indeed died a substitutionary death, the resurrection of Jesus matters because my resurrection in Christ and your resurrection in Christ is dependent upon his resurrection. If he didn't rise, why would you think you would? But if he did and you are in him, then as sure as he did, you will. It's certain. Then we who are alive and remain will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And watch this. And so we shall always be with the Lord. I want you to think about this for me quickly and then we'll close. One of the things that is hard about life is the evil we experience in our world, correct? One of the other things that's hard about this life is the a flip side. The good stuff doesn't last. Think about, any of you love a good book? What happens? It ends. And you're like, I don't want it to end. And authors know that. So they write like 27 of them. So because they're not, you don't want it to end. It, the things you love that are good, you don't want to end. You love a good meal? And have you ever said, oh, this is so good. I just can't eat anymore. A good vacation? Ah, you missed the last two days because it was ending. For those of you who are teachers, you've learned to hate Sunday night because Monday morning's coming. <laughs> Seriously. Almost every teacher I know hates, hates Sunday night because Monday morning's coming. What am I saying? I'm simply saying the reality of the future and what we think about it often makes it hard to enter in fully to the present. And when I know what my future holds is gain, then I am completely free to enjoy this. I can live free because I'm not afraid. Oh, YOLO. Not true, not true. You don't only live once, you get to live forever. And the fact that I live forever genuinely sets me free to live 
and the fullness of what God intended for me now. The comfort is this, that relationship will be restored to together forever. It'll be restored to together forever. Right now, a nap is coming. For some of us, maybe not all of us, we don't know when. But for now, a nap is coming, but it's just a nap. When we awake from the nap, We'll never nap again. The good that we love will never, ever end. Why? Because we're going to rise. We're going to rise and be with the Lord. So let me invite you to stand, and, and I want us to joyfully declare together. This will be like our closing prayer, a declaration of confidence and the joyful reality that because Jesus rose from the dead, we too will, will rise. Let's declare this together. There's a day that's drawing near When this door breaks to life and the shadows disappear and my faith shall be my eyes Jesus has overcome and the grave is overwhelmed the
good to be with you to declare that. Let's remember, we have a certainty of a resurrected Savior. And it gives us hope in the present to live, as, as Doug said, to live as he would have us live now. So let's go even today and let's be the hands and feet of Jesus. Let's, um, let's trust in his finished work and his empowering spirit in our lives. If we can pray for you in any way, uh, just like every week after every service, we have men and women available that would love to pray with you one-on-one. Uh, I hope that you would take advantage of that. And I hope you have a blessed Sunday. We'll see you next time.